Hi, and welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, some of you might know I'm a qualified NLP master trainer, so I'm, I'm a big fan of NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming. And it's far too big and complex and important a topic to try and cover in um, the top 10 tips. But I thought I might give you a flavour of NLP just to see how you might react to it and whether you might then want to pursue it further. And what I'm going to start with, unsurprisingly, is, is the top 10 presuppositions of NLP. Uh, these are 10 typical presuppositions that are quoted most of the time in NLP land. And a presupposition is a set of values or assumptions or defaults about how people and the world operate. So they're not necessarily truths, they're generalized expectations about how people behave, which are meant to give an insight into any individual's behavior. So they're not true for everyone, and they won't be true for each individual all of the time. But they are presuppositions which therefore presuppose how people will tend to behave. So here they are, the top 10 presuppositions of NLP. And tip number one, presupposition number one, is that the map is not the territory. If you visit anywhere, or say go walking in the Lake District, which is where I was brought up, then you know very much that where you are in any part of that landscape is rivers and mountains, it's very 3D, it's very real, it's something you experience and is true in that moment. That's where you are in the Lake District. But you may be following a map, and certainly maps are available to guide you to certain places in the Lake District. And these are maps. They are not the territory. They are somebody's representation of what the Lake District or that part of it looks like. And that's how we operate as individuals. We act according to our maps of the world. The way we see things, the assumptions we make about the world. And that map isn't the reality. It's a construct. And somebody else in the same reality, in the same territory would construct a different map. A really good example of this, perhaps better than the Lake District, is London Underground Map. If I mention the London Underground Map, the Tube Map, most of you listening will have a visual representation of that as a map. The actual underground system looks nothing like that. It is just a convenience, an easy way of interpreting what's going on underground. Some of the stations on the map are much closer to each other than they are in reality. Some of the stations in reality are much closer than they are on the map. It's just a representation. So, presupposition number one, the map is not the territory. And that leads to presupposition number two, which is people act according to their map. If territory is the real experience, the world as it is, and the map is a representation of that world, then people tend to follow the map rather than experience the territory. And if we're not careful, that map starts to assume reality as reality rather than reality. So the map almost displaces reality. We follow the map. And our map is our values, our beliefs, our assumptions about how the world and how the people in it are. So if we make an assumption about how that world is, 
That's the kind of presupposition we then follow. So presupposition number two is people act according to their maps of the world. The other thing about that is that when you get a map, you tend to stick with it. Whereas reality can often change. So by following the map rather than the territory, by following the interpretation you have of life rather than life itself, you can become a bit blinded or a bit stuck and a bit inflexible. And you follow territory according to a particular set of presuppositions which limit you against other ways of travelling in that territory. So tip number two, preposition number two, people act according to their map of the world. Presupposition number three, changing the way we see things may be more important than changing reality. This again follows on from the idea of the map. If we are stuck with the map and follow only the map, it may take us to the wrong place if the territory has actually changed. If you drive around a lot and don't rely on um, sat-nav but in fact follow maps, a lot of the road systems will have changed since you last bought the map. They will no longer be accurate maps. So maps don't always represent reality that changes. And so changing the way we see things, changing our maps, may be more important than changing reality. Because how we see things is possibly the biggest influence on our reality. Our reality is shaped by the maps we follow. And as a coach, I spend quite a lot of time working with people who see things in a particular way, which if they changed how they saw those things, their reality would change. If somebody has a particular expectation or assumption about a person or a, a situation, and they can look at it in a different way through a different map or landscape, then that might actually really help them. And that's been my experience as a coach. So changing the way people see things may be more important than changing reality. Now, presupposition number four. You cannot not communicate. This is all about communication. The way people interpret us depends on how we present ourselves to them. And however we present ourselves to them is part of our communication. That has a communicative impact on them. So we cannot not communicate. If I'm working with someone and I'm present with them and I say to them, please stop communicating to me, which I never do, but this is just a, a for instance, then they can't not communicate what happens next. They can stay still, they can stay quiet, they can hide under the table, they can leave the room. But there'll all be ways of communicating. So it's really important to recognise that we are communicating all the time, even if we're not intending to. That's presupposition number four. You cannot not communicate. Presupposition 5 is also about communication and it reads as the meaning of the communication is in the response you get. The meaning of the communication is the response you get. So whatever our intent when we communicate, it's not automatically what's going to be received. 
there is a difference between what we intend when we communicate and how it is interpreted and received. So, if I think I'm giving a really terrific lecture, but people's heads are slumping onto the table, I think if I look at them slumping onto the table, I'll realise it's not a terrific lecture. I may mean to give a terrific lecture, but the truth is in their response. So always check out how people respond to whatever you're saying or doing, because it's that that creates their reality of you and you as a communicator. So presupposition number five, the meaning of the communication is in the response you get. Tip number six, there is no failure, only feedback. This is a bit tough really to take on board, but what it's expressing is the best thing to do with difficulty is to learn from it. Instead of obsessing about what went wrong and how bad that makes you feel, focus instead on why it went wrong, what happened, and what can you learn from that. Regard the situation not as failure, which will take you down, but the opportunity to learn, to take it as feedback, which will improve and encourage you to move forward. So a state of mind, a presupposition that says, most failure is really just feedback. I can learn from this and improve for the future. As humans, we are bound to fail. We are not perfect. We are all fallible and we're all vulnerable. So failure is part of our life. And when we reach anything that is, in our view, a failure, look at it as a learning opportunity. That's what presupposition number six is. There is no failure only feedback. Presupposition number seven. Every behavior has a positive intent. Essentially that means that we are purposeful people. When we are doing something, there's something in it for us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. So, it's not so much for me that this is about how I behave, but as a coach, I'm always keen to examine other people's behavior and wonder what they're getting from it. Even what seems to be self-destructive behavior may have a positive intent. Somebody who throws a tantrum or cries a lot doesn't seem to be very supportive or powerful in them as a behavior, as a strong behavior, but it may attract attention or it may get comfort and that's maybe the intent. It doesn't have to be a conscious or intentional intent. In fact, it's all the more powerful if it isn't. But that's presupposition number seven. Every behavior has somewhere a positive intent. Let me give you a story to illustrate that that's about me. I'll try and keep it short. Uh, I used to work as a student behind the bar and with a colleague, we um, had to tidy up before we then went for a game of squash. So while we were waiting for our squash, squash court time to uh, turn up, we would use a squash ball behind the bar and play keepy-uppy, kicking it and heading it around. And there were loads and loads of empty bottles and, and beer and, and wine glasses on the shelves. And occasionally we'd knock one over. Um, but I nearly always caught it before it landed. And I used to play a lot, play a lot of sports and my hand-ball-eye coordination has been pretty good. And yet... And yet, and yet, I've always had an assumption about me that I'm fairly clumsy. And working with my coach, she said, um, do you get anything from your clumsiness? 
This is the idea of every behaviour has a positive intent. And it came to me like a light bulb that actually when I'm clumsy by knocking things over, I nearly always catch it. And so the positive intent of clumsiness is it sharpens my reflexes. And if you have got an hidden and unconscious positive intent, following on from an unhelpful behaviour, then it's less likely your unconscious self will let you change that unhelpful surface behaviour because it knows, the unconscious self, that there is a deeper positive intent. So, that's presupposition number seven. Every behaviour has a positive intent. Presupposition number eight. Individual worth is separate from worthwhile behaviour. And for me, I tend to summarise that as separate the issue from the individual. You can be critical of somebody's behaviour, you can disagree with it, you can even be unhappy with it, but it doesn't make the person delivering that behaviour invalid or not worthwhile. People are always worthwhile. They're always worth working with and investing in, even if their behaviour can be horrible. So, presupposition number eight, individual worth is separate from worthwhile behaviour. Presupposition number nine, you have all you need. Again, quite a challenging presupposition. What this really, I think, says to me is we are all perhaps more resourceful than we think. And for some people, it's true, I think, that they look to others, to systems, to procedures, to circumstances, giving them what they need. Whereas I have met people, and I would like to think I'm one of them, that is more self-reliant, is more willing to trust self. And one of the things that I have grown to appreciate and perhaps focus on over recent years is all the words that begin with self. You know, self-confidence, self-worth, self-courage, self-motivation, self-discipline. And the common feature there is the word self. Because the more somebody has those self-words, self-confidence, self-worth, self-discipline, the more they have all they need or what they need. So there's a sort of ownership issue here of taking ownership for just what you have and what has been given to you and using it well. So presupposition number nine, you have all you need. And the final presupposition Presupposition number 10 is all distinctions we can make can be represented through our five senses. These are called the rep system, the representation system in NLP. And there are five of them. Seeing, hearing, touching and feeling, smelling and tasting. Sorry, I'll say that again. Seeing, hearing, touching and feeling, smelling and and tasting. Sight, sound, touch, taste and smell. And the way we receive the world has to come through some of those or all of those five senses. That's how we make literally sense of the world and of ourselves. Those five senses are not equally distributed. They're a blend. Each of us has our own blend. I am pretty visual. I have an ability, an easy ability to see things, 
not only live in front of me, that's called external visual, but I can recreate pictures easily in my head. And if somebody's communicating with me, if they draw me a picture, then I am much more engaged and likely to remember. So understanding that people have their own personal blends of these five senses and finding out where their strengths are, where their preferences and priorities are, can really make you be a more effective communicator. So that's it. Those are the 10 presuppositions of NLP and I'll just run through them quickly once again. 1. The map is not the territory. 2. People act according to their map of the world. 3. Changing the way we see things may be more important than changing reality. 4. You cannot not communicate. 5. The meaning of the communication is the response you get. 6. There is no failure, only feedback. 7. Every behaviour has a positive intent. 8. Individual worth is separate from worthwhile behaviour. 9. You have all you need. And 10. All distinctions we can make can be represented through our five senses. So that's it. I hope that might have stimulated you and given you some pause for thought and maybe even encouraged you to research NLP further. So once again, thanks for listening. Please remember that I run a monthly workshop in Salford uh, on topics like this and um, business and personal development issues. So if you're interested in attending or finding out the program, then please go to www.etduk.co.uk. So that's it. Bye for now.